Let's act like we didn't just record another short before this. And so that's easy to do because we didn't. <laughs> nice. Because interestingly enough, this one's going to come out before that one. What? Did I just. What? Stop <laughs> peeking behind the curtain. <laughs> oh. There is no wizard here. No wizard. But there is a couple of dawdlers. There's definitely a one couple of, of dawdlers. Is I. And who am I? I'm Harland uh, Wicked Proportions Grant. I'm Ryan Malecki. Who the fuck are you? Yeah. (laughs) Well, let me tell you. (laughs) I'm Ryan Molecular Red McKenna. Molecular Red? That's right. Don't question it. I don't get it. Okay, but no questions. Someone out there will get it. And this is Darlish Philosophy Shorts. Episode whatever it is, recorded originally on one night, not late at night, after multiple whiskeys. Mm. Shorts! <laughs> music time! Here's the thing. I got a deal. You want to make? Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. Okay. I've got three doors. Behind one is something that you desire. Okay. Because I know you, I'm gonna say that that's a really fancy car. It's a minivan though, because you got a bunch of kids you need to put in there. So there's a minivan behind one door, but behind the other two are goats, and you don't want goats because that's more responsibility, and you don't want to have to deal with it. Three doors, and one of the things you want to accumulate, and the other two things you don't want those. I'm going to be nice and let you pick which door you want to try. Like, what you want? which thing do you want? Like Behind the door number, which do you want me to give you? Uh, is it door A, B, and C or something? One, two, and three, we shall call them. And I don't know what's behind either of those three doors um, in what order. Like, I don't know if it's goat behind one and three or whatever. The car, the minivan, and the goats were placed there through employment of the most sophisticated (laughs) pseudo-random number generator accessible to Humanity 2019. Okay. And you, do you know which one is behind which door at this point? Or you also, is this a double blind? No, I know, but I'm just not going to fucking tell you. I'm the game show host, and I'm playing okay. you up. <laughs> all right. But I so know I'm going to... Like, I know, I know it all. Okay. So I'm going to... Because... I, I, <laughs> I don't know if it's part of the joke, or if you don't know me at all, but I would very much prefer a goat over a minivan, so you don't know nothing... So no, okay. if you're I, not playing your role, been... goddammit, I am stipulating <laughs> okay. that the minivan is desirable to the, <sighs> to the role that you're supposed to play on this podcast. Okay. And the goats are a problem. Okay. I choose Bob. I mean, whatever you're My name is Monty. Monty. Monty Don? No. Monty um, Hall. I am Monty, Monty, Monty Hall. Hall. I like Monty Don. 
He does the gardens. It's really nice. Anyway, <sighs> terrific. Um, I choose door number two, Monty. Okay. All right. You can try door number two. But look, okay, let me show you something first. Before we <laughs> open door number two, there's a gimmick to this show. Uh, of course there is. I'm going to open this door over here. Creek sound effect. <laughs> Goat sound effect. There's a goat <laughs> behind door number three. Uh, good work. Now, Always, the question yeah. is, now that you've seen that there's a goat behind door number three, and there's still a one goat remaining and a minivan remaining. I said door number two. Oh, you're showing me door number three. I, you Sorry. said door number two. And that, you know, so that's your bet. But I'm opening up this one and be like, aren't you happy that you didn't pick number three? Yeah, I guess. Oh, I'm so but, happy. All right. So now that you know, do you want to switch doors to door number one? Or do you want to stick with your original intuition that door number two has the desirable prize? The audience goes crazy with anticipation. Are they yelling yells, door number one? Suggestions yeah. to you. Yeah, I like that. I like Most that of lot. the audience says you should probably stay where you're at. I mean, that the mm -hmm. host is get, trying to trick you and get you to switch. Uh, how many people in the audience have hair parted in the middle that's kind of feathered with like little mustaches? Like how many of the dudes, and they're wearing like a tight kind of, you know, polo shirt, short sleeve thing, and they've got, you know, their pants are everything's kind of like tight and it's like the 80s is this what it's like please tell me are yes you, are you making a reference to that price is right guy that they just did a documentary about i didn't see the documentary but i'm kind of making a reference to just that that world of like consumerism and the women have like the blouse and the feathered hair and it's parted down the middle and they're like door number one just paint the scene man i need this for those of you who are new to this show, this is why it's the toddlers. <laughs> sure fucking is. There are no people in the audience that meet the description. Just, can I talk to the new listeners for just half a second before we get into this? Just yeah. so you know, we're toddlers. And there's a lot of stuff out there in social media that you're going to see. And they're going to be like, do less and blah, blah, blah. I write shit at Medium or whatever. Just remember us. Every time there's like a, no, oh, do less. Don't do so much. Don't be such a hustler. Think, Toddler's Philosophy Podcast. All right. Door number two or door number one. I see there's a goat behind door number three. I'm s Alex or Bob or whatever your name is. Monty! I'm sticking with door number two. Oh, yeah? Well, you're an idiot then. <laughs> <laughs> because you have made a choice that only wins... 33% of the time, and switching is the mathematically correct answer. Great. And that it has a car behind it 66% of the time. What? Shouldn't it be 50? There's two unknown doors. 
settle a little tiff that Kevin and I are having. Let's be honest, Raymond. It's not a tiff. It's a row. And now it's a scene. It's okay, sir. We don't want to get involved in your personal life. It's not personal. It's a math problem. Pass. Raymond and I had dinner together last night for the first time in two weeks, thanks to the night shift. And Kevin thought it would be fun to spoil our date with an inane math problem, to which his answer is wrong. Enough foreplay. Let's get to the numbers. It's the Monty Hall problem. Imagine you're on a game show. There are three doors, behind one of which is a car. You're telling it wrong. There are three doors, behind one of which is a car. You pick a door. The host, who knows where the car is, opens a different door, showing you there's nothing behind it. Now the host asks if you'd like to choose the other unopened door, should you do it? No. Yes. It's, it's simple, simple math. math. It doesn't make any sense to switch. The prize is behind one of two doors. It's a 50-50 chance either way. It's two-thirds if you switch, one-third if you don't. The probability locks in when you make the choice. We've been over this eight times. Seven times. And there's a goat behind one and a car behind the other. That's a 50-50. Wrong! <laughs> Anyway, I assume you're familiar with this. I I'm don't familiar know how many, with it. <laughs> how many in the audience would or would not be? But this is a famous problem in statistics, mathematics, philosophy, etc. That they call the Monty Hall problem after the host of the show, Let's Make a Deal, that aired in the, what, 60s and 70s or something? Probably more, they, not the 60s, I'm guessing. Okay. <laughs> it's all the same to me. I'm young. <laughs> and they would literally do this, right? They would have a fancy prize behind a door and everyone, you know, it was one of the, it was a game show and they would bring people out and play this on them. They would ask them to pick something and then the omniscient host would open up one of the doors that had the zonk yeah. behind it and then they would ask them if they wanted to stay or switch. It became, it was published in a, you know, what became a famous article apparently by Steve Slevin, an American statistician, 1975, and then has been written and debated about fiercely ever since. Because apparently there were quote unquote thousands of readers, many of whom had PhDs in mathematics, who wrote into the magazine to say, no, this analysis is wrong. I can't, like, I won't accept. And they debated and debated. But it has since, as far as I can see from the literature, been proven to most people's satisfaction that switching is the statistically correct answer. And it is not a 50-50 chance, but rather a 66-33. Mm. And what this brings up to me is the general topic of the notion of counterintuitiveness <laughs> and inversely intuition <laughs> which we've talked about on previous episodes of the dialogue philosophy uh, -huh. uh so many even professional people who supposedly know about stats seem to find this really hard to swallow to the extent that I like I encountered this so long ago that I don't remember my initial intuitions but I think that I was one of those who was quote unquote fooled at first and thought what no it shouldn't make a difference and it's 50 50 and blah 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 do you like you said you've heard of it what's your thoughts initial or otherwise well I'm just thinking about how you said he was a statistician and I'm like did he study statistiary Ah. Um, Did I say that instead instead of statistician? Let yes, but let me quibble because it's fun. You know, I never really. I mean, I've I've heard it, but you know, 
unfortunately I never really had the chance. Like they didn't play the game with me whenever I was learning it. They were just sort of outlining the problem and then showing how it was done. Yep. Um, rather than giving me an opportunity to use my intuitions <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, I wasn't really, I, my head is someplace else. So that when you were laying this all out there, it was all just like unfolding in front of me. And I was like, what'll happen next? <laughs> so <laughs> I just like, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I, I, it's one of those things. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not too, um, I'm not, I'm not like super duper familiar in terms of like, I, I haven't really sat down with it and stuff like that, but I understand the, the problem. Okay. Uh, according to Granberg and Brown, 1995, apparently only 13% of people are switchers. And though wow. the correct answer is switching. So not only are our intuitions wrong, the intuition is that it's 50-50, but then you combine on top of that some sort of other cognitive bias for it's a, a, val a personal value that I stick to my choices or whatever, you know, so that not only do 50-50 people choose to switch or stay, because if we were statistically accurate and our intuitions said it was 50-50, then 50% of people would switch, but only 13% of people in this particular study of 228 subjects chose to switch. So to me, <clears throat> that's really telling that not only do we have the statistical intuitions wrong, we add on top of it these other biases that make us do it extra wrong. <laughs> I gotta love it. It makes you wonder what else we're fucking up so bad. Right. <sighs> and that's what I'm saying by, and this goes back to the whole Robert Anton Wilson model agnostic stuff about you know we don't know what the fuck is going on no one should take themselves or anyone else so seriously and confidently mm -hmm. because about anything i think this kind of monty hall paradox or whatever we call it might apply that many people even quote unquote experts who ought know better, could at any given time hold an opinion about something. It could be very popular and well-established, and there could be articles published about it, and they could just be totally wrong. And 20 years down the line, after we've worked it out with computerized models and formulas and all this stuff and arguments, we've figured out, nope, it really is preferable to switch doors as counterintuitive as that seems. Yeah. If you spell out the protocol of the host to make sure that we get this really clear, like the car has to be placed randomly at first in order for this to work. The host has to have perfect knowledge as to where the desirable result is. And the host has to always reveal a zonk when they open a door. Like it can't be... You know, you pick door number one, I open door number three, oh shit, there's the car. Like, that can never happen in order for this problem to work out properly. Mm -hmm. And so that your choice to switch is always the chosen door and some other door. And that is, I think, the key to the answer. Like, we have to bring in the omniscience of the opener of the one door. If every aspect of it were random, then I don't think it would hold up. Like if Monty Hall was just randomly opening a door that might have 
a goat or a car because that would ruin the whole thing. Once the door has been opened, that changes the total information capacity of your second choice. Your first choice had you know, 30, an even equal 33% information choice. It might be one, it might be two, it might be three. Because it's random, you have no idea, and your choice is equally random. After the host opens a door, though, it's not that there has been two random 33% selections. There was one random selection and 100% information selection because he always will open a goat door. The second, that's what makes the second choice different than the first. Does that make any sense? It makes sense to me. Another way that they spell it out to try to, you know, utilize intuitions more and help you out is say, all right, well, let's change the game. Let's say there are 100 doors instead of merely three, and you select door number two out of 100. And then Monty goes and opens up 98 doors that all have goat, 98 goats, and then says, would you like to switch from door number two to door number 23? <laughs> Doesn't that, does that change your intuition? It's like, oh, of course you should change because the guy who knows where the car is opened up 98 goat doors. Of course, in that situation, you want to change. And the point is, it's no mathematically different in the three-door choice than in the hundred-door choice. The point is about the epistemic position you're in at choice one and choice two, and your epistemic position differs. Therefore, the correct choice differs, and it always is switch. Three is just the minimum number required to play the game, but it can be a hundred doors, a thousand doors, a million doors, make it bigger and bigger until your intuition finally gets the point, oh yeah, I need to switch. Switching is always preferable. Uh, a mathematician, Keith Devlin, wrote this quote that I find useful for understanding it. By opening his door, Monty is saying to the contestant, there are two doors you did not choose. The probability that the, that the prize is behind one of those is two-thirds. I'll help you out by using my knowledge of where the prize is to open one of those two doors and show you that it does not hide the prize. So now you can take advantage of this additional information. Dot, dot, dot. And that also to me is very telling. And this is uh, another well-known artifact of the cognitive bias literature from, you know, Kaufman et al. That if you just tell the story problem differently, mathematical intuitions are very manipulable. If you phrase it in terms of teamwork between the host and the contestant rather than competition like that the host doesn't want you to win because that's the assumption that most of us have going in the social assumption well the the game show the host the company doesn't want to give away cars so probably the host is trying to manipulate you to switch off of your choice so I'm going to stick with it. I think that's part of the explanation of why most people stick. That we have this wider contextual assumption. The host works for the company who's giving away the car and he doesn't want to give away the car. So he's going to try to push me off my choice. So fuck him, I'm going to stick. But if you just rephrase it with a new contextual assumption that the host is attempting to help you, which is actually what's happening, 
in the math, then our intuitions seem, oh, okay, I see. You're going to try to help me out, and I'm going to use your new information to make the switch. I don't know. I like that also to to manipulate the intuitions. That definitely makes it even clearer, you know, yeah. uh, and that's a wonderful way to do it. I Yeah, I think that's that's brilliant. That's like a hint, hint. <laughs> right which is good i'm yeah that's that's a great way to look at it but I, I we get stuck you were talking about you using the word entrenched you know we get we get entrenched we get that that rut and we get into it and it's really difficult for us to imagine beyond that confinement of thinking and put ourselves in a completely different context or circumstance whatever you want to call it uh, to, you know, perhaps provide, you know, new perspective that gives us potentially even an advantage in, in whatever the situation is. I kind of think of it like what people don't do is psych themselves up to be better decision makers or whatever, you know, kind of like, at least in America, pro football players psych themselves up to go, you know, bash heads with people and stuff like that. Otherwise, They'd probably prefer not to be uh, extraordinarily physical because in a way we all kind of avoid physical conflict. You know, it seems to me that seems to be a state in nature where, you know, if two animals are competing for a mate, like two males are competing for a female or something like that, rams butting heads or, you know, whatever, they're going to actually work it out so that they minimize the harm that's done, you know, and they're, you know, or, uh, you know, a lot of animals will just tend to avoid conflict, you know, like there might be some predators or animals that like a bear that could kill and eat you like a black bear or something like that. But it might actually prefer to avoid any kind of uh, conflict interaction because, you know, let's just say natural selection has has fa- has been more favorable, you know, or, or those who have had the traits to avoid and just, you know, forget about it, not, you know, go after it, have benefited from that because maybe part of the time they actually don't do very well. And so, you know, for us, we get stuck in that maybe, I don't know if it's evolutionarily related, but the idea that we'll just stick with our intuition, we'll just, you know, maybe this is a good place to do the sunk cost fallacy. I don't know. Like, I chose door number two, damn it, and now I'm going to go. You know, like, door number two all the way. I don't care what you've shown me. It's 50-50, something, you know, like, whatever the logic is that goes beyond the decision-making, um, it makes you feel, yeah, it makes you feel like what you're presented with is not a a different you can't see it in a different context, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what I was thinking. Uh, but that's not what I was thinking, thinking before. <laughs> when I was like, ah! Oh, well. No, no, that's what you're thinking now. Would you agree or say that, do you think it would be fair to say that conflict is inherently costly? Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah. okay. in the long run. So that in order to reasonably willfully engage in conflict one would have to have high confidence that they would be victorious more often than not and that the you know cost benefit analysis type thing you have to run a epistemically responsible cost benefit in order to reasonably engage in conflict 
given that it always costs. I yeah, I mean I would say yeah, you want to go in pretty confident about your ability to win for sure. So, I don't know. One of the reasons I really like the Monty Hall problem in a larger philosophical context is that I'm such an anti-intuitionist and skeptic and epistemic responsibility arguer. I think this well shut you go do the empirical work and you establish with a very high degree of confidence that most human intuitions 2019 or whatever run counter to what is well arguable. The best argument we have in 2019 is switching is the correct strategy from a you know long-term betting statistical perspective. But empirically, we see that most people don't engage in that. When we explain why they don't engage in that, we invoke the notion of intuitions and other cognitive biases, and then we so, hey, everybody, stop it. Stop <laughs> fucking caring about your intuitions. They are not reliable. They are not trustworthy. They lead you to miss out on optimal betting strategies. So, fuck intuition. Comments? <laughs> it's like, you know, um, I'm, I'm biased in my evolutionary thinking, but... It's like the whole, is it access, you know, do you access truth or, you know, does, does an adaptation just, you know, find what works, you know? And if, you know, you don't die and, and, and you do very, you know, you, you survive and reproduce or whatever, then that's all that matters. What you're saying is let's go beyond it, you know? Um, there's a whole frontier, there's a whole world out there and you know we can we can access it and you know i we can yeah, do let's things go to the to the galaxy of reasonable decision making where no man has gone before and potentially no organism you know biological system where has no gone before yeah right and that to me is two things both exciting Potentially, you know, and also, and I would imagine for some people, this would be the case. It's also frightening because there's comfort in familiarity. This is why we have ruts, you know? Yeah. Well, it worked. Don't broke what ain't fit, you know, or fix what ain't broke or whatever the fuck I'm trying to say. <laughs> Don't broke what ain't fixed. Uh, but something like that. Um and that's kind of that's what I'm I'm thinking that the that's what the intuitions serve, and they've done a really good job, you know. But is that where we want to stay? You know, do you know? It, there, I don't know where, how you get there. I don't know if it's just straight up arguments that make the difference, or if there's a huge amount of infrastructural change that has to happen to get people to you know, um, accept counterintuitive results because there's a lot of reactionary blowback to that. You know, people are like, oh, people love counterintuitive results because it's cool or whatever. And there's a reactionary, there's a reaction against it, you know, to say, hey, sometimes the obvious thing is correct, guys. You know, just stop trying to be different. 
And I think well, that sometimes there's sometimes it is, but some but not all times it's correct, and some but not all times the counterintuitive result is correct. So at most take the intuitive suggestion as a data point, but nothing more. I think would be my recommendation. Nope, we're choosing door number one every time. <laughs>